Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Politics without the soap opera. With unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minimans standing at the ready to value our freedom and to fight for life, liberty, property, and all that matters to the one and only CR Podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today for Thursday, the 22nd of September. And that is indeed the anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation where we recognize that human beings cannot be ruled over. We are not ruled over by classes. We are not ruled over by kings. There is one king, the God of Abraham, and that is it. But here we are, over 160 years later, or about 160 years later, where we are all slaves at this point. Do we even value freedom anymore? Are we going to break out of the servitude, the slavish devotion to the current paradigm of politics, the current Republican Party, the current conservative movement, the current way of thinking? Or are we going to think of new things because if we don't, we will quite literally not live free again? And it will be a degree of servitude that we could have never imagined because it's a high-tech Slavery, um, that is something that is nothing short of fighting their ability to reprogram us as human beings. Now, obviously, the big way they're going to do that, headed forward, is biomedical tyranny. It's also getting rid of our food and fuel. So we're going to talk a lot about that in the first half of the show. Then we're going to have Brian Festa on one of our terrific lawyers, to go through some of the latest lawsuits on criminal, uh, critical race theory, uh, COVID fascism, uh, medical freedom, things like that. But I just want to say that a lot of things that – I think the biggest point that people miss about Republicans, this whole week we've been trying to give over how Republicans screw us while rhetorically sounding like they're at least to a degree better than the Democrats, thereby fooling people into the same paradigm, but really they're enabling the left to push things they couldn't otherwise push. And the the easiest way to explain that is Republicans, if you notice, they always agree to the premise of the left on any given thing, and then they'll find one extreme outcome of the premise that they just agreed to and put into motion. And they use that as a cheap campaign talking point, not even that they're going to do much about even that, but just enough to keep you voting for them. So even on energy policy, where on paper it looks like, well, Republicans are all for drilling, and it seems like all of them, you know, even even your Mitt Romney's, your Lisa Murkowski's, they're, they're all in support of that. 
but they're also in support of global warming. Oh, whoops, the Republicans actually use their language and now call it climate change, and they'll call it the next thing that the Democrats call it. You see, everything that has been put into motion with the green mandates, the phasing out of our products, like every year new products phase out and we have to get more expensive garbage appliances products. Do you know all of those policies were voted upon by Republicans? So we talked about yesterday this Kigali Amendment where, as of yesterday, they voted for cloture to add this amendment to the Montreal Protocol, basically UN International Treaty, to ban the key ingredient in coolants for air conditionings and uh, refrigerators so that they'll be more scarce, expensive, and give China a monopoly. So yesterday they actually ratified the treaty. The final vote was 69 to 27. So I mentioned 17 Republicans voted for cloture, while 21 Republicans voted for final ratification, and they included some very important people, such as Mitch McConnell, Ben Sass, Tom Tillis. I have the list in a column I have out today. 21, so now it's up to 21. Mitch McConnell. Right, he He's in with the Chamber of Commerce, and he'll say he supports drilling. It will be a big part of their campaign plan, and Kevin McCarthy just came out with a document, the Republican, you know, their, their platform and their plan. They'll all talk about it, and, oh, I'm against the Green New Deal. Yeah, but you agreed to the concept of so-called climate change, so you've greenlit all of that. So they're like, oh, I also support drilling. But that, that, that's meaningless. All you do is marginalize our views by limiting the point of contention to that narrow ground, that narrow ideological space. See, whereas if, if it was only the Democrats pushing it, if it were the Democrats in charge, every time a party in charge has a full you know, monopoly on power and they do something transformational that causes a lot of disruption, you know, scarcity in goods, increase in pricing, uh, infringement upon rights, people are going to be outraged and you're going to start to turn the swing voters against you. Okay? But when Republicans agree to that, they shield our Democrats from our ability to mobilize against them. This is what they did with COVID. Remember, COVID was under Trump in a GOP Senate, the worst thing in the history of the country, not under Democrats. And the point of contention was what? If you remember, oh, Democrats are trying to stick in non-COVID funding. They're funding the Kennedy Center. And I was like, I'll fund 100 Kennedy Centers. The COVID funding is the problem. That's funding the genocide. It's funding the gain of function and Pfizer and the kill shots and the lockdowns and everything like that. Remdesivir. But that's what they'll do. So it's funny. Last night they did a similar thing. They're never able to argue against the premise of something. It's just like, hey, a man's a woman. You're right. You're right. So therefore, we're not going to touch the, you know, the safety issues of having men and female bathrooms, the castration. Among your mainstream Republicans, at least, it's just get the men out of the pool with the women. You're ruining female sports, right? They'll find the most oblique way of, of arguing a point. So similar thing here, they're okay with basically banning air conditioners that work. What they didn't like was it's not fair that China gets an extra 10 years of this. Right? If you notice, 
often with global warming, they'll say, well, well, China's not adhering to it. Well, that, that's a talking point. It's accurate. It's a small portion of what should be our case against it, but it's not the primary reason. So what they did, the way that I think they got McConnell and others to vote for it, they had an amendment to strip out that provision to, you know, basically before then um, it allowed developing countries and China would be considered a developing country an extra 10 years, like until 2046, and America would have to stop it by 2036. Uh, so, yeah, they um, they stripped it out and then 21 Republicans voted for it. Again, most others weren't too bothered by it, but that included Mitch McConnell. So even on the issue like energy, which seemed like, you know, a universal issue among Republicans, not only won't they stop the existing bad stuff, they'll promote new bad stuff. They'll promote new bad stuff. I'm sorry, but th this is what it's at. Republicans have set this into motion. They've been supporting global warming since the 90s. Everything we suffer is because of Republicans. There's not a single transformational policy that didn't have Republican buy-in. You might have once in a while, it's pretty rare, one particular iteration of it that passed along party lines. But that was greased by Republicans buying into the premise. Same thing. They support open borders. They, they think that one million illegal immigrants plus another more, you know, 1.5 million long-term visas every single year, primarily from the third world, is not enough. Uh, just, you know, we got to do something about the border. It's just too chaotic. Um, yeah, you know, we need criminal justice reform. But but just, uh, you know, may, maybe some of the murders don't don't let out that quickly. Um, that's what they do. Or or not even that. They're actually not even saying that. They're just fund the police more. That's the new line. 200,000 more police. Like, this has nothing to do with it. We're going to do a show on police tomorrow. Um, and we'll talk, talk a little bit more about that. Ukraine, there's not even a oblique argument against the Democrats. They're more forceful than, than the Democrats. And in every foreign policy neocon thing is like that. There's not a single issue, if you watch carefully, where Republicans aren't like that. Maybe abortion is the one thing. Um, and it shows. And with Pfizer, forget it. They're just as passionate in support of it. And this is why we are facing this nuclear winter. What are we going to do about it? And I want to go through some of the parameters of this. But first, a word from our sponsor today. You know, it seems like we you can never get quality goods and services anymore. We've regressed into a dark age of unsafe, unworkable, inefficient products for more money that helps fund the cartel. What if I told you you could get something that is healthy for your body, it's a vital service, good, that you need, and you will be helping a small business of a Christian homeschooling family in Florida with a 15-year-old boy who is the entrepreneur at the head of it. That's right, QP Goat Soap. Go to QPGoatSoap.com, promo code Daniel. QP stands for Quinn Pittman. Believe it or not, a 15-year-old Floridian at a young age. He wanted goats. He loves taking care of them started off making goat cheese, and now he makes goat soap. You have to understand that we, we've done a lot of shows on what you put in your body with food and medicine um, and how much we're being poisoned. Well, keep in mind, what you put on your skin uh, goes in your body. And, you know, Dove, Zest, first of all, they fund the um, 
Rainbow Jihad Cartel, both of them, you could look it up. And by the way, they're full of junk. Here, this goat soap is all natural, full of palm oil, which is uh, rich in vitamins. So many different uh, scents. I love the cocoa version best, and we have a lot of that in our bathrooms now. It smells heavenly. Um, it's almost like a, a, a refreshener in the same bathroom. You know, you don't even need one. It's 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 just amazing. Um, puts me in a good mood, especially after uh, listening to other conservative hosts. You got to take a shower afterwards, so make sure you use your QP Goat Soap again. That's QPGoatSoap.com. Promo code Daniel, um, and send them a note. They'll they'll communicate with you. Uh, it truly is a, a real small business, a perfect American story of uh, you know 15-year-old Quinn producing it with his mom, Dana, uh, little Grace packaging it, and of course, Dad, who's Ben, takes care of the business side. Imagine if we had this parallel economy for every other product and service. And this is something we really need to talk about. Next week, I'm going to talk a little bit about financial services and credit cards and transaction fees, and maybe what we can do to stop funding those who hate us. But this is the big issue. If we had a, the equivalent of QP goat soap in every good and service as small, mid-sized businesses, that could be a bulwark against the tyranny. Um, and that's that's really the, the vexing question. What do we do? Economically, how do you start that? I don't have good answers, but we need to start looking into that. But obviously, energy and food are the big enchiladas here. And, you know, before I just describe the magnitude of the problem, I just want to say Republicans are seeding the issue of global warming at a time when more than ever fewer people are buying into it. The AP actually has an article out from a couple of weeks ago. They did a poll, AP commissioned the poll, where they said, you know, look, uh, you know, people are more skeptical of it. When they asked, do your actions have an effect on climate change? Okay. In 2019, just three years ago, 66% yeah, said yes. I mean, they always polled well. And, and it's superficial because, you know, it's kind of like, okay, but do you support communism? No. But intellectually, people want to say, oh, I'm very scientific. So 66% said yes. It's down to 52 For something that polled that well for, for probably like 20 years, to lose that much in, in three years is a big deal. How concerned are you about the effect of climate change? 44 said extremely three years ago. That's down to 35. It's a minority. How much responsibility do individual people have for addressing climate change? Um, it was 50. Now it's down to 45. So that ha that is really changing. But you could count on Republicans every time to screw us because that's where the money is, as we mentioned yesterday. So... Thanks to everything Republicans have done. So you have to realize Republicans will rail against the most extreme new iteration of everything the left wants to do. But many of the other new ones they'll support, and they'll never roll back these old regulations. Sometimes they'll campaign against it. But when Republicans took over, they rarely repealed in Congress the bad stuff. So the war on coal persisted. So what do we have now? The electricity crisis in many ways is worse than the gas crisis. And by the way, we do have a gas problem because now our strategic petroleum reserves are depleted to 1984 levels. Biden uh, uh, 
threw out all the gains from 40 years because of his political ploy there. But electricity, we were largely driven by coal for many years. They destroyed our coal-fired power plants, so it's gone down to nothing. Now you'd say, all right, you replace it with natural gas is one thing. But the problem is that our natural gas, while it is at higher levels than it's been, it's nowhere near where it should be and nowhere near where it needs to be to replace coal and deal with the added demand from uh, you know, the needless, aimless, stupid war with, with Russia and the embargo. So, you know, some of you might have seen a headline that the Energy Information Agency is predicting a 7.5% increase in electricity rates um, in 2020, uh, over 2021, meaning this coming winter. But you look at many parts of the country, the Northeast, it's already doubled. And it's slated to go even higher. And the reason is because they get almost no electricity from coal there. So they rely heavily on natural gas. But they don't have, but they ban fracking and gas pipelines, right? New York banned gas pipelines. So the problem we have now is we have a lot of uh, gas production. And we even have exports, but we don't have the storage and pipeline infrastructure that we need. That's the biggest problem with natural gas now. And Republicans are doing nothing to fight for that. In fact, it was so bad that rather than piping the gas straight from the Marcellus Basin, right next door, New England was importing gas from Russia. Okay? The coal situation is so bad, and this has been going on for a decade, and Republicans have done nothing about it. They used to say, oh, the war on coal, but then they don't do anything about it. We used to get roughly half our electricity from coal. Now it's down to 21% and going down every year. Yet thanks to the reduced inventories, we're struggling to even supply that smaller share of the pie. So the price of thermal coal is now at an all-time high, way all-time, $439 per metric ton. Our electricity generation from coal power plants is down by two-thirds since 2008. 250 coal plants closed between 2010 and 2017, leaving us with just 240 less than a quarter of China's inventory. Even though God has given us, you know, we have we have 60% greater reserves than China. Um, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Our coal, electric coal power inventory is down over 30% since 2020 and more than 50% since 2016. So that's the issue. We have a big inventory problem because it's just been shut down, even though it's sitting right under our feet. What about nuclear? I thought they wanted clean energy. Well, nuclear is great, right? No, because it was never about clean energy. It was always about the communism. At the end of 2021, there were 93 active reactors left, down from 104 a decade ago. Our monthly nuclear utility generation is down 5% compared to just 2019 from what I can see. And there's many more that are aging. And we have not built another one since, I believe, 1996. Or Well, I mean, there's a couple that are officially under construction, but, but we haven't had a new one come 
online since 1996. I believe it was in Tennessee. Um, but we're, we're in a perpetual state of being where we're losing more than we even plan to build, much less are successfully bringing online. So again, the same forces that are say, oh, you know, we don't like greenhouse gases, but they'll they'll fight you on nuclear too because it's not about that because global warming is a myth. Um, it's about the results of it. It's the same reason why they, you know, it wasn't about treating COVID. It was about creating COVID and creating death out of it and death out of uh, their response to it, including the shots, because they blocked treatment for it. And a perfect example, by the way, the COVID analogy is that electric cars, which, again, every Republican has bought into that hook, line, and sinker. Electric cars, in many ways, are the vaccines, the Paxlovid of energy. What do I mean? Not only doesn't it work, but it actually perpetuates at a high cost the problem. It exacerbates the problem. Because what happens? They make everyone reliant on you know, a limited, weak source of electricity. No more, you know, oil. By the way, I'm going to stop calling it fossil fuels. That was that was a fake name that was contrived to sound like it's something that is finite and scarce. Um, some trace it back to Rockefeller in, in the 1890s. You know, it's oil. Oil is like water. God replenishes the world every day. It's something that us Jews say in prayer every morning. It is a fundamental belief. And and, and we see it every time we measure. It, it gets replenished. But anyway, they ditch all that. No coal, no nuclear, no natural gas, no oil. So they want wind and solar. But wind and solar rely on what? Elect- a lot of things they need certain extent they need the you know oil and gas to you know in the production and empowerment but they have all these trans- transmission lines and batteries batteries so they strain the grid that's already fragile cuz it's built on crap sources um with more electric cars at a tremendous cost so then they don't have enough and then also they create a shortage of batteries now because of the run on electric cars that's not natural, but the government created. So it works against the solar. So uh, the Washington Post has a whole article out. You can look it up on the fact that even though California is full of wind and solar, it, it did nothing for them during this heat wave when they had to shut off the power. Now, you might think, all right, say what you want about a heat wave. You're going to have a lot of heat and a lot a big need for air conditioning, but you're also going to have what? A lot, heck of a lot of solar power there in the California desert. Man, I mean, if solar is worth a bucket of spit, this is your heyday. This is the time you're going to capture, I mean, more energy than you can imagine. But it was worthless because they don't have enough batteries and transmission lines. The point is that solar and wind rely on everything else, even to make it work. So that's the irony. It, the whole electric car thing works against us in two ways. Number one, it drains more electricity. Number two, it, it creates a greater scarcity of batteries that we don't have for the solar. And again, this is all done by design. They're doing this all on purpose. Why else would you arson all of our good sources 
put a greater stress on electric, you know, electric vehicles at a time when electricity is going way up. Get into a war with Russia. Okay, they're doing that on purpose. Deplete our strategic petroleum reserves. That's the story. And then, of course, you have this Inflation Reduction Act they passed, which creates a methane fee, which in itself, that alone will increase consumer natural gas bills by 17%. And they have all sorts of fees and taxes, not just on a production of oil, but also the transmission, storage, and exporting of natural gas. They did this on purpose. And then they fund all these green energy. Republicans will not, I, I guarantee you. They're not even a rep- promising to repeal it. Like that was kind of the Obamacare of our time. You don't even have a rallying cry to repeal it and defund it in the budget bill. The Europeans already paid $500 billion in subsidies to alleviate the pain, but that's only going to inflate prices more. Goldman Sachs is predicting $2 trillion surge in electricity costs come winter in Europe. Again, don't just think of home heating bills. Think of farm production. Think of every production, commercial, industry, what that's going to do. It's all done by design. And and, and while we're on the topic, so, you know, we haven't built um, uh, um, nuclear reactors and more are coming offline. Same thing with oil refineries. We haven't built new ones, and every time more are aging, they're coming offline. And then the ones we have, we force them to blend ethanol, which is just, I mean, the worst thing you could possibly do. Some of you might have seen in the news in Toledo or near Toledo, Ohio, there was a massive explosion and fire at a big oil refinery that produces 150,000 barrels per day. It's completely shut down now. Two people were killed. There are two brothers that were killed. That's a big story. We have no hint anywhere what the cause is. Well, Daniel, maybe it's, it's still early. just happened. Well, a month ago in the adjacent state of Indiana, there was another BP oil refinery that went up in flames. And I could not find anywhere where there's any desire to get to the bottom of it, investigation, much less uh, you know, speculation in the media or information, what happened. I'm not insinuating anything. I just want to, I'm just bothered by the fact that just like with the food processing plants, at the worst possible time, we seem to be having a lot of these natural disasters, yet there's no desire to, to look into why and, and to give a basic just cause. Don't you find that to be a little bit bizarre? I don't know. I don't know. But my point is, on paper, everyone thinks, oh, Republicans don't buy into that. Republicans say, I oppose the Green New Deal. The Republicans supported the Green New Deal for 25 years, and certainly the last 17 or so since the Bush administration. Everything we have today is because of Republicans. So they just fake fight the next iteration, or even the most, even the next iteration, like in this case, they voted for the Kigali Amendment, the next most extreme iteration, which eventually they'll support when Democrats come up with something else more extreme, the endless, inexorable march of that Overton window. So again, the Republicans agree to the premise of every last problem. 
every last problem. And of course, you know, another big thing they have agreed to is uh, the vaccines. Edward Dowd, he's the financial analyst that's been looking at life insurance rates. He pointed out something very spooky on a couple of podcasts he was on yesterday. He starts off with a premise that uh, the Society of Actuaries came up with an interesting finding in a 2016 study. They looked at group life insurance rates from 2010 to 2013. And they found something very interesting, that they found the mortality rates of people on group life insurance policies compared to the general population, which is essentially saying the workforce population to those who aren't working for whatever reason. Either they're older or they're just out of work. They died at a 30 to 40% higher rate. Um... No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, they died at 30 to 40% of the rate of the general population. Okay? In other words, 2.5 to 3.3 times less often than the general population in working age groups. I'm sorry. I said that wrong. I was saying, oh, you could be retired. No, you know, obviously, if you're 80 years old, you're more likely to die than you're 40. No, no, it was an apples to apples comparison. Obviously, most people who are 40, 45 years old work, but there are some who don't, and increasingly many because of the government uh, welfare structure. So they compared those rates, and it was unbelievable. And, and, and it's not surprising that you know if you have a steady job and you're working, you're going to be healthier, healthier maybe physically, mentally, emotionally, and you know certainly less likely to use drugs and... Um, you know, depression, all sorts of things. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not rocket science. Why is this important? Because typically you see in the life insurance rates, you, you, you find that, um, you know, again, in terms of group life insurance claims, you find less mortality, much less mortality. You know, two to three times less mortality than in the general population. And that persisted since their study years, all the way through the first nine months of COVID, right? So same thing. Even with the pandemic, once again, it didn't, you know, the pandemic you think would throw everything into whack because it evens things out. It's a, it's a specific cause of death. No, same thing. That people who were in that uh, group life insurance population died at much a much you know less frequent rate but it changed 9 months later now what changed 9 months later we define the pandemic as kind of march 2020 well i think we know exactly what started then it flipped the unhealthier general population group suffered a 31.7% excess mortality for the year but in the well-to-do and fit group group life cohort, they saw an excess mortality of 40%. Now, to, to have eight basis point difference in, in, in the other direction after having been you know two to three times less likely to die is unbelievable, statistically. And while there's no proof, the only way that makes sense, the only way that makes sense is to explain it like this, that 
you know, while most people wound up getting the shots, but a much greater share in the workforce that had working jobs, you know, by definition, if you're working for an employer, especially that has a group life plan, you're somewhat of a minimal, large, you know, not, not necessarily a large company, but at least not tiny. And most of those had mandates. Whereas if you're not working, you really were able to avoid the biggest leverage point that they had over you. Now, so a lot of people got it willingly, but a lot of people did not. You know, so again, there was the excess death was everywhere. Some of it was COVID. Some of it was the shots. But it was worse in the working. I mean, that was a brilliant, brilliant point by Ed Dowd. Um, one of the many, 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 many data points showing the degree of Holocaust created by these shots. So speaking of the clot shot mandates, so now that we know the destruction that emanated from those employer-based mandates, we could see it in the data, we see the death. I want to go back to the legal aspects of this and where we are legally, morally. As you well know, Steve Dace and I have written the book, Rise of the Fourth Reich, Confronting COVID Fascism with a New Nuremberg Trial. And part of that trial includes changing the laws, uh, codifying in state constitutions these rights because, frankly, they have not been codified. Uh, yesterday, we had Thomas Renzon to speak about some of the legal parameters of the origins of COVID. I want to go through today where we are state of play with the lawsuits on some of the mandates on doctors being punished in terms of prescribing or speaking out, uh, patients being punished with uh, some of these pharmacy cases where they're denying care. Uh, obviously, we also have a couple of other things I want to get to today with our guest. Brian Festa is our star civil rights attorney. Um, actually just moved to Idaho. His organization is We the Patriots USA. So go to wethepatriotsusa.org. Follow We the Patriots USA news channel on Telegram. Very important there. Why? We are strangers in our own country. We are voiceless. We are the trodden upon people. We're nothing but a bunch of Legos that are you know, uh, programmed like software in the hands of these sickening elites. We have nowhere to turn. I mean, you're, you're watching now illegal aliens who, by the way, the courts have said for 120, 130 years have no standing. Um, they have standing due process if you're locking them up, but not to – uh, in, uh, litigate their status to break into the country. They don't have a right to be here or remain here, um, literally. I mean, it's literally in Shaughnessy, 1953. Due process does not invest any alien with a right to enter the United States nor confer on those admitted the right to remain against the national will. But somehow they can get lawyers anytime. But when we have people, patients dying because of treatment, doctors who can't prescribe, cannot practice, you have... Um, you know, all these people getting hit with uh, lawsuits or not even lawsuits, but they're losing their their uh, board status. Where do they turn? Just like the January 6th uh, uh, defendants, they have nowhere to turn. And then there's other issues as well. And We the Patriots covers this, all of this. Um, they, they have a big critical race theory um, lawsuit in Connecticut we're going to talk about. Uh, with Brian as well. So a lot of good work. There are few organizations, as you well know, that I stand behind. Um, we the Patriots USA is one of them. So please, please go to their website and donate 
generously and to hear more about their work and the state of play um, on COVID fascism from a legal standpoint. We have Brian with us on the other line from Idaho. Hey, Brian, thanks so much for joining us again today on CR Podcast. Hey, Daniel, great to be back. Well, it was good to be on uh, with one of your associates. Uh, uh, You guys had a great podcast with Taryn. That was a lot of fun. All right, let's start off with the news of the day. Um, Finally, we had good news to report. A Louisiana federal judge ruled that the federal mask and vaccine mandates, because even though most of the mandates are state, but they still do have uh, federal mandates in schools um, for Head Start program, which is federal, where the young children often disabled with learning disabilities had to wear a mask. So that was um, reversed, at least in in half the states, by a federal judge in Louisiana, um, noting that, you know, stating the obvious that the federal government uh, lacked the statutory authority to do so. Can you talk a little bit about the ramifications of that ruling? Well, it was a great ruling. This is a judge who actually gets it. This is Judge Terry Doughty. Um, and this proves my point that there are still good judges in this country, constitutionalists who understand uh, the framers, what their intention was in drafting the Constitution, and particularly with regard, Daniel, to separation of powers. That's what the judge focused on in this decision, is that the Biden administration made this order unilaterally without consulting Congress, without, I mean, really, this never mind consulting Congress, really, this should have been an act of Congress. The people send their elected representatives to Congress to represent them uh, and make decisions like this. It's, we're not a one-party, one-person rule in this country, but apparently uh, Joe Biden thinks that he is. But this, uh, this judge came down hard on him. I mean, he said at one point, Uh, the accumulation of all powers, legislative, executive, and judiciary in the same hands, whether of one, a few, or many, and whether hereditary, self-appointed, or elected, may justly be pronounced the very definition of tyranny. He was quoting James Madison there in his ruling. So this is just, this is a great victory for individual liberties and for upholding the principle of separation of powers that the executive branch cannot act unilaterally in enacting these mandates. And also, it's a within a good appellate uh, court circuit, right? It's within a good circuit uh, to have the government appeal because the Fifth Circuit is is generally pretty good. Um, yes. So you know, it was it was a good ruling. But as always, you know, I gotta warn people that don't dance as if you have the ball in the end zone like, like Leon Lett in the nineteen ninety three Super Bowl before you actually have it there. It was good in a certain way, and and for what it was designed to deal with, it was a perfect ruling. But at the end of the day. We still do need our push in state legislatures to codify bans into civil rights, into laws, because at the end of the day, again, even the successes we're seeing, and and I want to make two observations and then get your comment on it just because I haven't spoken to my audience about this yet, so I'm going to do it with you on two points. Number one, politically, um, I think it's important to recognize that judges are not these like machine legal oracles. Politics does influence them. And it's no secret that two and a half years later, when there's COVID fatigue, the legal rulings are starting to come our way. Um, And that's a lesson that you can't just be like, 
oh, let's just hope in the courts. No, the courts shut us out in March 20, 2020. You have to politically fight it, and that creates the momentum legally. The left does that all the time, and the two really work in concert. Number two, and 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 just from a legal standpoint, to the extent we've gotten victories, they're mainly statutory. So in other words, and, and they're federal, that the federal executive branch doesn't have the right to do this. But the notion that these are inhumane, they violate human rights, they violate, in my view, the Fourth Amendment to, to mandate that someone ha- can't breathe without something on their, on their face, I think that's an illegal search and seizure. Um, I think it should be included in ADA, it should be included in civil rights. Um, that is not there, and you know, th- you know, so Congress could always say, okay, here's the statutory authority, and then certainly the states – the states, uh, you know, this Jacobson ruling ruling seems to be the king of the day in the court system. So do you disagree with me that still politically we need to do a bunch of good things in, in state legislatures despite these rulings? I don't disagree with that at all. We need to do a lot in the state legislatures. We need to get better people elected in Congress. Um, this is me speaking personally. My organization is nonpartisan, nonpolitical, but um, I believe personally we need to do a lot in November to clean up Congress and our state legislatures to get the right people. And we need real patriots in there, Daniel. I mean, enough of these rhinos, people with an R next to their name and, and, and uninformed voters, and I don't mean your audience because I know if they're listening to you every day, they're definitely not uninformed, but I mean all these other people who just go in and they go R, 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 all the way down the line, and they don't know anything about the people. They don't know about their independent candidate, who may be a lot better than the yes. R on there. Um, that's who we need in Congress. That's who we need in state legislatures to uh, to really push back and be a bulwark against this tyranny. Yes, and, 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 and I don't mean to rope you into this because we, we have three court cases I want to get to in, in, in about uh, 20 minutes, but – in your state that you just moved to, uh, you know, you go from Connecticut to Idaho, and I could relate to that because I want to make a similar move. But, you know, Brad Little, your governor, he is every bit the COVID fascist of, of um, you know, any of these Democrat governors. His Department of Health is horrible, horrible, horrible. And uh, Ammon Bundy is running as an independent, and he has my full support. I will have him on the show at some point. This notion that we just have to give up and say, oh, no, that's it. You won the, won the primary. So what? So freaking what? Especially in a state like Idaho where the Democrat Party is really you know, very comatose. Um, now's the time to make the stand. But, but uh, Brian, I want to start – go down the line. So we had a disappointing ruling in Salier v. Walmart. That was your federal case in, in Minnesota uh, that uh, Walmart – um, violated the laws by failing, declining to dispense a prescription for Bill Salyer, who was literally, a, he was going to die from COVID. They wouldn't dispense ivermectin, and they didn't. Uh, but he he he's a farmer, so he used the horse pace, and you know what? It actually worked. It turned him around. We're going to have that full story out in our book, um, courtesy of your work. We lost the ruling. Could you explain exactly what we lost and what action you're taking at the appellate level? Well, yeah, I mean, we lost the battle, but we haven't lost the war yet. Um, Judge Patrick Schiltz, uh, District Court, the Federal District Court of Minnesota, uh, ruled uh, in favor of Walmart and Hy-Vee and granted their motions to dismiss. We were very disappointed by that. We're not necessarily surprised, 
Um, you're talking about politiza- politicization of the judicial branch. Um, I'm not going to say that was the case here. Um, however, you know, he was, he is, he was appointed by the establishment old guard Republicans. He was a George W. Bush appointee. Um, so, you know, I, I, it, it's not, you do see a difference in the, the Bush Republican judge, <laughs> appointed oh, yeah. judges oh, yeah. and the Trump Republican appointed was judges. Was it a mootness issue? It wasn't so much a mootness issue um, at all, actually. It was that he didn't believe. The, the decision, in my opinion, is appalling. Listen, I'm going to exercise my First Amendment rights. No disrespect to the court, no disrespect to the judge, although I personally strongly disagree with him. But I'm just going to say I was appalled by the decision. It, it said they have no right to bodily self-determination. It said that what they were asking the pharmacist to do in filling a prescription for ivermectin was akin to asking, to demanding that um, a doctor provide an abortion or that a nurse uh, assist with uh, assisted suicide. Oh. Uh, just, you know, really, really out there. And, and, and I got fired up when we responded to it in our, in our you know, internal press release here with our followers. I said, listen, that's not what was happening here. What was a better analogy would be if someone came into the emergency room and was lying bleeding on the floor in front of a doctor yes. and he refused to treat that person. That's what was happening here. Pulmonary inflammation and you refused to give him an anti-inflammatory without offering an alternative anti-inflammatory. Um, that's exactly what it is. Um, we now have more data that has come out that I'm sure you could use in your appeals court. So you, you're, the good news is you have the Eighth Circuit there. Okay, the yeah. Eighth is you know maybe even better than the fifth. I mean, usually um, there's almost no Democrat appointees left on it. So what's going to be the thrust of your argument? Um, what law Walmart violated, and what sort of argument maybe other people in this audience could use if they have a similar case? Well, certainly um, there. Well, there there are several different um, legal arguments, but but one definitely that we're still pursuing is the the, the there's a common law right to self-determination it actually goes back to the 19th century in American law. Um, and, and we talk about that, and you can read it in our briefs, and, and he actually he does address that in the decision, although he disagrees with it. Um, and there's also the, the fact that this pharmacist was violating Minnesota law by practicing medicine without a license, by interfering with the doctor-patient relationship. I mean, this was a, a, a tortious interference, really, because you're, you're creating, I know that's a term we usually use in contract law, but yeah. what, <laughs> what you're doing, well, there is. There's a contract between the doctor and the patient, and you're interfering with that, and you're causing real harm. I mean, Bill Bill is in great shape. I mean, I know you've probably never met Bill, but he is um, tip-top shape, former Marine. He's, uh, I think he's in his early 50s, but you'd never know it um, because, you know, guys half his age aren't as in good shape as he is, grew up on a farm in Iowa, just really, you know, the quintessential um, American hero, really, served bravely in Somalia and at Camp David later. Um, so just, you know, a great guy, keeps himself healthy, and yet he couldn't even breathe at one point. He, his oxygen levels were dropping dramatically. This hit him hard, and so he could have died if he didn't know enough to get the horse pace and dose it right. Um, he really could have died here. So there's there's a major major liability here yeah. on the part it's not just negligence this is malpractice this is practicing medicine without a license there's 
there's some major injuries that were done by this pharmacist at, at both um, Hy-Vee and, and Walmart, actually. And it doesn't matter that it's their corporate policy. You know, I think um, even CVS says they have a policy, you know, not to fulfill uh, prescriptions, not to fill prescriptions for ivermectin because it's off-label use. But you know as well as I do that they fill every day thousands of prescriptions that are prescribed off-label. Wound care, heart, you name it. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, that's 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 the name of the game. It's uh, it's obviously a joke. So so we'll have to watch for that in a circuit. That's a very important lawsuit. Okay, now another big thing that we're dealing with now is doctors um, can practice medicine just directly. So not only do they empower the pharmacists, but only in one direction, of course. Um, California, they, they're just passing a new law. It's going to be signed into law that uh, they could just say um, anything that's rooted in science is misinformation, and the only real information you could give are to give people kill shots. Um what are you doing? You know, what what sort of lawsuits do you have with these medical boards going after doctors? Yeah, so this is a, another um, aspect of fighting back against COVID fascism that we're just getting involved in now, and we think it's really, really important because we have to stand up not just for the patients, but for these doctors who are being attacked because they're very brave and they know they're putting their licenses on the line. So in California, I can't give out names yet because we're still in the preparatory uh, phase of getting the filing together and talking to potential clients and all the intake. But we have this pending lawsuit against the California Medical Board because what they've done is they've come after this doctor and all she did was write two medical exemptions in, this pa in the past year. Um, and they uh, basically threatened to take away her license. She was, had her license suspended. Now they're offering a settlement agreement, is what they call it, when they just give you a, a written reprimand or public reprimand. Yep. But in exchange, she, uh, those medical exemptions are going to be invalidated. And also, any medical exemption that she's ever written prior to that point is invalidated. So I'm getting contacted now by the patients of this doctor. There's 22 of them in all who have said, you know, my child has a serious disability. My child had serious reactions to, you know, his MMR or Tdap or whatever it was. And, you know, he's disabled the rest of his life. He, if he gets another shot, it will kill him. Basically, that medical exemption is now invalidated simply because the California Medical Board has gone crazy. They're coming after this doctor who's done nothing wrong, okay? And I'm, I, I just got a call in Idaho, actually, my home state now, from another doctor who um, is being scrutinized now, too. She's being told to turn over all of her records relating to prescribing hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin. So we, have, we might have a lawsuit there at some point, but this California case is really important because California is leading the charge on, uh, the, medical, on the medical, I call it the establishment you know, medical mafia, um, and, and that's really what it is. They're coming after this doctor, and, and these patients now have a cause of action. So this is almost like a class action. They're going to band together these 22 patients and this doctor, um, and we're going to uh, you know, file an action against the California Medical Board, hopefully in the near future. Like I said, we're still in the, in the intake phase. Okay, so let's move on to another aspect of COVID fascism, and there are many human rights violations. So the denial of organ transplants, uh, even though we, we just had a – a study come out, and I'm sure you've seen it, where you actually have more cornea tissue rejections from those that had the shot. The spike protein gets in there, and that's from something that is rarely rejected because it's past the blood-brain barrier, usually protected from the immune system response. Um, so there's a lot of there there. 
uh, unbelievable human rights violation. The Canadian courts have said blatantly that they have a right to uh, turn down uh, organ transplants. Where are we in federal or state court on that issue in the U.S., and are there any big cases to watch on that? Well, um, we have uh, our case that we won a victory in. I think I, I was on your show to talk about yep. it, the Alyssa Campo case in Michigan, where we got the hospital to back down for this girl, 17-year-old girl who was being denied a kidney transplant. Uh, we're raising funds right now for Brandy Harris and Michelle Meyer, who are two women in uh, Peoria, Illinois, who are being denied organ transplants, kidney transplants again, by OSF St. Francis Medical Center. Both women were told uh, that they were being taken off. They were on the transplant list. Unlike Alyssa, they actually made it onto the list, but then were removed in June of last year because of their religious objections to the COVID shot. Um, and they're very sick. I mean, I've talked to both of these women. They have serious kidney disease, end-stage renal disease. Uh, this is bad, and we have a fundraiser up on our website for that. You'll see it, the kidney transplant lawsuit, if you go to wethepatriotsusa.org. Um, that is going to be a major case. Uh, the, the doctor straight out told uh, Brandy's husband when she, he was in there with her at the appointment that, listen, you know, the Pope says you need to get this. And they looked at him and said, but we're not Catholic. <laughs> and, and so then, and then, you know, they're Baptist. And then, so then he said, well, well, whatever. Um, what was his next line? Oh, he said, well, just, you need to do it for the greater good. That was his next line after that. Well, okay, well, you don't believe in the Pope, but, but you still need to get it for the greater good. And they just shook their head and, and, and walked out. They said, hey, you know, we're not getting it. Nothing you say is going to change our mind. It's against our religious beliefs. And so now she's very sick. They both get dialysis, but um, you know, that's a major case. I'm not aware of any major victories um, for organ yes. transplant uh, yet, um, which is why these cases are so important. I did see that study about the cornea. In fact, I think you sent that to me, um, but I had, I had start somewhere else. Well, too. You're um, not going to find it too many other places. I mean, yeah, that's... yeah. I, I, it, it, that's, that's a fascinating study, and we need to use that when we go into court to show that, look, this isn't exactly safe. You know, I mean, there's a chance that getting the shot is going to be more harmful. And I think not just a chance. I think it's almost a certainty. I, I, mean, I just don't understand all these pro-life litigators. I mean, this is the ultimate pro-life issue. They're literally aborting adults. And, you know, we haven't had a good ruling on it yet. Sometimes we have good outcomes because you make enough of a PR rumble over it. They obviously don't want that bad PR and they might quietly give in to that person. But but it precludes us from achieving a good ruling. And again, this is just underscores the need for, on the one hand, your work is of vital importance because individuals need help. And, you know, we can on the fly get majorities and legislatures to do the right thing. But we still do need to push legislation codifying these human rights, barring vaccine fascism categorically in every state permanently criminal penalties, civil penalties, it all has to be written in. This is not over with at all by any stretch of the imagination. Now, Can I just say one yeah. thing about that, Daniel? One, one thing about what you, the point you just made, that this is not over with, you are so right, because we are, in some of these lawsuits, we're a year and a half in, almost two years in. We have one in Connecticut, we're two years in. If we were to suddenly stop this now, like if people just pull yeah. out, they're not going to support us anymore. We're not going to, you know, file these lawsuits. We're They'll not do it again. They will do it again, and then the clock restarts. So after these November midterm elections, you know something else is coming. Well, guess what? We have to start from ground zero again, 
and then it's another two years to two yeah. to three years to, to litigate. We can't take our, our foot off the pedal. The emergency powers thing, the understanding of what Justice Jackson always said, there is no emergency uh, um, exception to constitutional rights. Our country was founded during an emergency. They understood what an emergency was, and they understood arbitrary power, and they didn't want it. And yet we just blew right through that. I mean, that's the biggest thing. So it could be another virus, but it could be food and fuel. It could be God knows what they have up their sleeves. So that's important. And But again, this is not the only way we're under attack. Another way that we are expendables, that we are lesser beings. So if you don't get the shots, you're a lesser being. You're not a, a, a ubermensch in this Fourth Reich. But, but there is a racial component to the Fourth Reich, and, and it basically just takes the Third Reich's uh, racial pyramid and it just flips it upside down and applies it the same way. So if you're white, you you deserve less rights, and this has really been going on for way too long. You have a kind of a critical race theory type of lawsuit going on in Guilford Public Schools, Guilford, Connecticut, where the, you believe the school has encouraged racial discrimination to the physical detriment, physical harm of students. Could you describe the lawsuit and the legal arguments and theories you're pursuing? Yes. So that is a lawsuit against the Guilford, Connecticut Board of Education. Guilford Public Schools um, told a group of parents that, and this was last year, um, that basically they were um, implementing, they told all parents really, that they were going to be implementing this critical race theory curriculum. Well, our plaintiffs went in to fight that, told the superintendent of schools and the Board of Education they were not okay with this, spoke out against this. One of our plaintiffs met privately with the superintendent who admitted that he had bought copies of Ibram X. Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, for every single staff member in the school, and that he was going to elevate the whiteness of Guilford, as he put it, whatever that means. Um, so they actually primaried, there's a political element, they primaried the Republicans on the board who wouldn't listen to them and wouldn't stop this, and they actually beat them in the primary. <laughs> they lost in the general election, unfortunately, but they ran against them, and, and this is so important that people do this. Again, I'm not endorsing it from our organization standpoint, but just as an individual, me personally, I think it's great to get involved in politics like this at the local level. Um, and they made national news for it. They were on Fox News last year, everything. So what happened in the aftermath, though, is what's really, really sickening, and that's what forms the basis of this lawsuit. The staff at the school not only retaliated against these parents, but retaliated against these students, allowed these students to be bullied, harassed, watched them be, one of them was beaten up on a, on a football field, another one was sexually assaulted in the hallway um, by a, a group of students, and this was not reported, even at the urging of the mother, this was not reported as is required by law in Connecticut, within 12 hours, if you're a mandated reporter, you have to report any instance, and most states have a law like this, you have to report any instance of sexual abuse within 12 hours to either, either the Department of Children and Families or um, the law enforcement. They didn't do either. They said, oh, it was just a prank. It was, even though there was penetration here, by the way. There was digital penetration. Oh, that's just a prank. They called it goosing or something. That's just a school prank. Under the definitions in state law, that is considered rape, okay? That's an assault, and they didn't do anything about it. So they are majorly liable. We didn't just sue the Board of Education. We sued these individual administrators and staff members who let this go by and didn't report it in their individual capacities. That was retaliation, clearly, for speaking out against critical race theory. There was also compelled speech. Uh, so that's a First Amendment violation. 
Also, the parents opposed this on the basis of their religious beliefs. So this harassment that they endured was also, um, again, in retaliation. It's considered religious discrimination under the First Amendment and the denial of Fourteenth Amendment equal protection of the law. Because, again, these students, they were allowed to be bullied, harassed. One teacher made fun of this girl when she got up to, uh, to read an essay that, again, was not politically popular with the teacher because it was, it was too conservative or too American, I guess, and was started making fun of her in front of the class. I mean, all of these things happen. So the, the plaintiffs are not just the parents. The actual students are named as plaintiffs. We use aliases because we want to protect them because they're minors. But they are named as plaintiffs as well. Um, so there was clear retaliation and discrimination, suppression of speech, trying to suppress their religious viewpoints and their First Amendment right to free speech. Um, and then finally, there's common law negligence claims and also an intentional infliction of emotional distress. When we win this lawsuit, and I do believe we're going to win it, there's going to be major damages paid by this Board of Education. And this will send shockwaves across the entire country to any Board of Education that's pushing I like that. CRT. Because on it's parents, a smaller on- unit of government, there's less money there. Um, you know, the insurance uh, for some of these municipalities, you know, there's a limited amount of money they have. It's it's a good deterrent. It really is a good deterrent. Um, that's what I like about these type of lawsuits. And and again, just to sum up your work, I mean, it's really just taking discrimination laws um, and applying them evenly. What we, you know, what we would do each one of them denying you know um, FDA approved the dr- drugs, denying the ability of doctors to just practice like any other doctor uh, based on their their opinions, their political beliefs, their religious beliefs. Um, you know, denying medical attention, um, and then and then again, I mean, you know, we would not tolerate um, teachers standing up and you know and and naming homosexuals or discriminating against them, inciting violence against them. Um, that that's what I always say. You know, put put a homosexual in place of this, whether it's you know age treatment, whether it's just the the social behavior and the opinions uh, directed towards it by by government officials or school officials. Um, we would never tolerate that. We would never tolerate that. And somehow, when it comes to this, it's okay. And that's what you're there for to just t- take all these laws that we have, apply them equally. Because when you don't apply them equally, you get fascism. Um, so could people donate generically or to specific lawsuits if they go to wethepatriotsusa.org? They can do both. Obviously, monthly donations are greatly appreciated because we are constantly getting approached by new plaintiffs every day, <laughs> and we have to budget, can we afford to take on this lawsuit? Well, if we don't know what's coming in from month to month, yes. it's very difficult to do that. So those are appreciated. We also do have fundraisers specific for these lawsuits and these causes. So we have a CRT fundraiser specifically for CRT litigation that you'll find also at wethepatriotsusa.org. Um, all of these uh, donations, all of these gifts, are for most taxpayers tax deductible. I always say for most because there are a couple of exceptions. Check with your tax preparer. I'm not a CPA. But um, in most cases, you can deduct these for your taxes. So as we get close to the end of the year, um, if this is a cause you really believe in, you'd like to support us, you can see the work we've done. I mean, Daniel, you know we've put our money where our mouth is. You can see all the filings we filed in coast to coast, Missouri, Nebraska, Michigan, Connecticut, New York, Florida, New Mexico. I mean, we, the, the list goes on and on and on. We've got cases we've actually either pending or filed all across the country. So we greatly appreciate support. Also, 
um, if you want to get updates about our litigation as well as updates about all of similar things, because we have a lot of organizations we partner with, like America's Frontline Doctors and um, Stand for Health Freedom. Uh, we even do work with Project Veritas. We put updates constantly in our Telegram channel because we're censored like most, most of us, Facebook, Twitter. I know you were kicked off Twitter, which was horrible because you had a great, really a great a page there that, that a lot of people um, you know, were following. But now you've built up your Telegram channel, COVID Truth Bombs. I think it's called COVID-19 Truth Bombs, right? Um, that's a great channel. But our channel, We the Patriots USA news channel, please follow it because you'll get not only uh, stuff from all around the country and the world, but all of our legal updates, what's going on whenever we get a decision, uh, whenever there's uh, a need, a new lawsuit that we're announcing and we need funding, we'll put that there in the channel. So a lot of people prefer to follow it there rather than our, our email list, although you can subscribe to our email list on our homepage as well. But a lot of people find the Telegram channel just sort of easier than getting your inbox flooded. You know? Yep. And, and, and we, the Patriots USA News Channel on Telegram. And again, this is a good way to end transition to tomorrow's show where we talk about blood libels. You're fighting the blood libels, whether it's you are a lesser being, you're causing death by not getting the biomedical fascism, you're uh, causing violence by being white. And then that in itself, like a blood libel always did, elicits uh, violence against those people and certainly discrimination. We'll be talking about that more tomorrow. Brian, thanks so much for joining us. And thank you all for tuning in today. Till tomorrow, God bless you all. And thank you for listening.